What you believe is important. Amen. What you believe is important. I know we're living in a day where people think that what emotion is elicited uh, out of a, of, of a speaker or out of a song or out of a church service, that that's the be-all, end-all. Uh, we, we have made worship about how it makes me feel is the interesting thing that we've done with, with worship. But what we believe is important. It's not just how well somebody's saying what they're saying. It's what we believe is important. Not only what we believe, but more importantly, in whom we believe. And that's what uh, Paul said, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep those things that I've committed unto him against that day. How many believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected, risen, ascended, and coming back for us again? If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. The great commentator William Barclay wrote these words of the passage that we're going to share with you in just a moment. He said, in the Christian life, we have a goal. Christians are not people who stroll along the byways of life in a completely unconcerned manner. They travel on the high road. They are not tourists who return each night to the place from which they started. They are pilgrims who are always traveling on the way. The goal is nothing less than the likeness of Christ. The Christian life is going somewhere. And at each day's ending, we should do well to ask ourselves, am I any further on? Have I made progress today in my Christian journey? Hebrews chapter 12 is our text. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 4. Very familiar passage of Scripture. I'm reading from the King James Version of the Bible. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Wherefore... Seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I want to preach to you today on the subject, Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we're asking for the anointing of the Holy Ghost of God upon the preached word today. Lord, we're asking that you would speak to our hearts. God, we're praying that your spirit would bring that strange mixture that you so often bring of challenge and comfort, of pointing out our need and yet causing us to be confident of your supply. And not only know that the supply is there, but, Lord, for us to, by faith, draw down from your supply to be all that you created us to be and do. In Jesus' name, amen 
and amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you better watch your weight. <laughs> watch your weight. That hurt, didn't it? When the Baseball Hall of Fame opened its doors in uh, Cooperstown, New York on June 12, 1939, it had already had members inducted. They started inducting members in 1936 before they had the place for the Hall of Fame to be. The Hall of Fame has uh, 260,000 roughly visitors per year. There's been 17 million visitors that have come through the baseball, Major League Baseball Hall of Fame uh, since its existence, since 1939. There are currently 323 members of the Baseball Hall of Fame. The very first inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame was a Georgia boy, Ty Cobb. Such luminaries as Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, Cy Young, Lou Gehrig, uh, Jackie Robinson, Mickey Mantle, Reggie Jackson, Johnny Bench, and on and on and on the list goes of those great, all-time great baseball players. I've never been to Cooperstown. I'd like to go. I would enjoy that. I'm not a big baseball guy, but there is something special about that. And imagine being surrounded by all of those greats and their memories and all of the photographs and pictures of them. Imagine if somehow, kind of like the field of dreams, you were able to be around those people. Imagine if those greats, those 323 best of all time Major League Baseball players, imagine if they had come and watched your Little League game when you were a child. Or imagine they came and watched your church softball game. Can you imagine if you had that kind of crowd, those all-stars, those Hall of Famers in attendance watching you play? That's the picture that's painted for us in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11 is the Hall of Faith. Such great luminaries of the faith like Abel and Enoch and Noah, people like uh, Abraham, the father of the faithful. Sarah, Isaac, Moses, Rahab, uh, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, all of the prophets, on and on the list goes. And these are not people that just know how to be fans. These are people that know how to play the game. They've been there, done that, and succeeded in it. They are the hall of faith, the hall of famers of the Bible and they're watching us. Their race is finished. Their game is over. Their path is concluded. Their fight has been won, and yet they are watching us. Now, it's different when you have been there and done that. Now, most of you know I'm an avid college football player, uh, or a fan, not player. <laughs> God help. But I watch it strictly as a fan. I watch with the understanding that when Georgia wins, we won, and when they lose, they lost. I don't understand how me watching on TV from my easy chair with a, a big bottle of, uh, you know, 
uh, of Coca-Cola in my hand helps them at all, but somehow I have shared that victory. When I go to a high school football game, I'm there in the fans and I enjoy it, but I don't watch it the way my brother Travis watches it or the way my brother Barry watches it or the way my nephews Matt and Josh watch it because they played football. And when Travis watches, watches football, he doesn't just watch it from the perspective of a fan, he watches it from the perspective of somebody that's been there and done that. In fact, Travis calls uh, the games over the radio for uh, the Bacon County, what are they, the Rebels? Raiders. Nobody knows because they ain't never won a game. But anyway, whatever they are, Travis is on there saying, and we lost again. But Matt used to be on the radio helping. Whenever we have a question about quarterback play, we turn to Matt because he played quarterback. My nephew, Thad, and my brother, Barry, uh, actually are uh, referees in football, and Bat does that as well. They look at it differently. This crowd looks at it differently than we do. Now, I remember when my brother Travis, some of you saw him the other night, others of you know him uh, from years past. Travis is a big guy, but he hadn't always been like he is now. Travis was an incredible athlete, a four-star or a four-sport athlete. And, he, of course, he got a college football scholarship, and he, he was a tremendous and he was, he was as good at basketball as he was at football. And, and I remember one night uh, back at the Gator Den in Ware County, because he graduated from Ware County, I remember him running down that court and Mama being in the fans or in the stands and Mama looking down and Travis dribbling down the court. And his, his, his nickname is T uh, for Travis. We're clever that way. And uh, he's just, you know, dribbling down the court. And Mama says, Dunk it, T. And he had had a rough game, and he looked up in the middle of that and said to Mama, if you want it done, you come down here and dunk it. Not his finest hour. And we may, we may feel like saying in the journey of life, the race of life, the game of life, we may feel like saying to those in the stands, if you want it done, you come down here and do it. But they, ha they have been there and done that. These are people that uh, according to Hebrews 11, 36 through 39, they had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and all these having obtained a good report through faith. Not long they've been there and done that, they endured things that we have not endured. I remember listening on the radio one time to Deacon Jones, former Georgia great and, and a professional football player, and Deacon Jones was talking about this uh, current level of, of NFL players, and he said, I don't understand players that go out and, and don't play because they got turf toes. He said, what in the world is turf toe? He said, if I had turf toe, I'd just bit my toe off and kept on playing. He said. And I wonder sometimes if we get low, somebody doesn't speak to us just right. Somebody doesn't massage our ego just right. Things don't really go our way. We don't get the promotion that we wanted. 
Somebody giggles at us. We, we think somebody's gossiping at us. By the way, let me say this to you. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I want to say this to you. All those people that you think are talking about you, they're not really talking about you. You're not important enough to them for them to talk to you, talk about you. They're not gossiping about you. You're not even on their mind. But we get that mindset, don't we? And we want to quit. We want to lay by the wayside. And here are people that endured trials of cruel mockings. People that wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins and inhabited caves and dens of the earth. And they're the ones that are in the stands watching us. And I think they look down sometimes at, at poor little old Brit when I'm having my pity party and said, Man, get off the sideline. Get back in the game. Right? There is a game not only to be played, there's a game to be won. And the Bible says that we are encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. And they're there for two reasons. They're one, they're witnesses to the faithfulness of God. And because they're witnesses to God's faithfulness, we are now witnesses of their faithfulness. We're inspired by what they were able to do through faith. And so we can look up in the stands and be inspired because we see them there. They're there to inspire us. So we see them and they see us. And they're looking to see if we're going to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. We're, uh, we're enclosed, we're encircled by that. My brother Barry received a gift one time that meant the world to him. It was a, it was a photograph that had been altered that my great-grandfather uh, on uh, the May side and my great-grandfather on the Smith side of our family who were wonderful Christians and my great-grandmother and some of my great-great-aunts and uncles that preached the gospel and sacrificed and labored and worked they were all surrounding a picture of Barry in that frame. That the people in his own life that had carried the torch, the people in his own life that it were testaments of the faithfulness of God and their faithfulness to God, they were surrounding him. And they're looking to see if we are going to stay in the game and if we're going to lay aside every weight and sin. I love this story. It, I, I don't know that it, it was a true story, but it certainly is a moving story of the young man that just loved football. He, I mean, he eat, uh, he ate it, he drank it, he slept it. I mean, it, he breathed it, he just loved football, but he wasn't very good. But he would always show up uh, to the tryouts, and he showed up, and he got on the football squad. They used him mostly just in practice and scout teams. He never got to play a game. But every single game, even though he was riding the bench, every single game, his dad was up there in the stands so that he could see his dad sitting in the stands and his dad would yell for him and cheer for him like he was an All-American. And he never got in the game. He would work harder than anybody. He would stay late. He would get there early. He practiced as hard as anybody. You would have thought that he was a star running back or a star receiver or the star starting quarterback, but no, he was just on the scout team, but he was always there, always ready, always had his helmet on, was always ready in case they ever needed him. And his dad was always there. His dad would go and sit in the stands during practice. His dad would go and sit in the stands 
during the games, yelling, cheering for him. Finally, it came the last game of his senior year, and he didn't show up. And the coach wondered what was wrong. He was always there 30 minutes early, and now it was about 10 minutes to game time, and he had not showed up. And finally, he gets there late, and he's got a suit on, and he's taking off his suit and putting on his his uh, his his uniform. And the coach said, "Man, why why are you late? You're never late. Are you okay?" He said, yeah, I'm sorry. He said, today was my dad's funeral. And he said, Coach, can you let me, can you just let me get in the game tonight? And the coach thought, well, it's, it's going to be a tight game. It's going to be a close game. But this boy's been, he's been faithful. I'm going to let him go in. And the young man goes in, and he's not as good as everybody around him, but he gives his all. And he actually intercepts the ball. He's playing defense. He actually intercepts the ball at a key moment. And he runs off the field. And at the end of the game, the coach said, Man, what got into you? He said, Well, you know, I wanted to play tonight and I wanted to play good because this is the first game that my dad has ever seen me play. He said, What do you mean? Your dad's been here at every game. He said, Yeah, but coach, dad was blind. But he passed away today, and he's in heaven, and it's the first game he's ever seen me play. Can I tell you, it's important for us to know that there are those in heaven, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of the heavenly angels, and the saints that are going before us, that they're saying, you can make it, you can do it, keep trying, keep going. It means something that somebody is there cheering us on, watching us. And because of that, they're watching, are we going to be entangled by the weights? When you see, the other night I went to uh, a, a Hawks uh, basketball game. First time I'd ever been to a professional basketball game because the chorus was uh, singing there and Katie's part of the chorus. And so we went, we were part of that. And they all come out just like they do on TV, they all come out in their warm-up suits. But before they get started in the game, they take off their warm-up suits. And I wonder if some Christians are trying to run the race still in the warm-up suits, still in their comfort zones, still in their cozies. But the Bible says let's take aside, lay aside the weight, anything that's going to tangle us up, anything that's going to trip us up, anything that's going to keep us from going forward let's lay aside the weight I need I need a volunteer and the Lord has laid on my heart Mason the Lord didn't have anything to do with that but it sounded religious when I said that come on up I got you because I don't care if I embarrass you I, I want you to get right here now you're not going to get in trouble Melanie don't you spank him for this you need to do there stand right there I want you to run as fast as you can to that back door and back. Please don't trip the man on the way back. Go. Come on. Come on back. Yeah. Now, I, I could do that, but I wouldn't be preaching afterwards. <laughs> All right. Now, come here. Pick that up and put it on your shoulders. Be careful, son. Put it on your shoulders. Okay, now run back to the back door and back. 
what you, what you waiting on? I said, run. Come on. I like you chasing a pig, son. Come on, we'll get up here. All right. We, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's heavy. Come on, put it right down back there. You're welcome, by the way. How, how many thinks he did a good job? All right. Come here. Which time was easier? First one. First time. Okay, I could close out, couldn't I? Right now. It's easier to run if you take the weight off. It's hard to run when you're weighted down. In fact, somebody said this, said, if we want to travel far, we've got to travel light. You're not going to get very far dragging weight around. So it doesn't matter whether it's attitudes or associations. It doesn't matter whether it's motives or means. It doesn't matter whether it's a habit. It doesn't matter whether it's some attitude, some mindset, or some sin, whatever it is. We've got to lay aside every weight. Now, Crystal used to teach Weight Watchers. In fact, we used to have a Weight Watchers meeting right here uh, in the church. No, I did not attend. And I'd pass through and those ladies would be setting up Weight Watchers. And I said, ladies, I'd tell you how you'd get a better crowd here. If you'd offer free brownies, you'd get a better crowd here. And they, they, come on, lighten up. That's why you go to Weight Watchers anyway, to lighten up, right? Well, Lisa, those that are watching us are watching. Are we going to let anything slow us down? The weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, that word for sin is the word miss the mark. In other words, they're saying, are you going to lay aside everything that slows you down and everything that tempts you to get out of bounds? Are you going to lay aside those things that are trying to call you off the course? Are you going to lay aside those things that maybe won't get you out of the race but keep you from succeeding in the race? In fact, that word weight there that's used in Scripture, one of its uses is a tumor, is a mass. There are things that attach themselves to us as Christians that grow and grow and grow and left uncared for. Just this week, I went to the went to the dermatologist, had a bump on the side of my face. I had to shave that bump off. Last time I was at the dermatologist, I said, I've got these little bumps under my chin. She said, oh, that happens as we get older. <laughs> Have you ever seen a preacher slap a dermatologist? <laughs> so they, she shaved it off. She sent it off. She said, I don't think it is, but, it, you know, it might be cancerous. Now, you know, she said, don't worry. It's not anything serious. I mean, it, you don't have to worry about that. But it, if it's left untreated, it'll keep growing and growing and growing. That's what cancer does. And there are things that attaches themselves to our lives as Christians. Hurt feelings, resentment, bitterness, lust. The Bible says when we're drawn away by our own lust, that's when we're tempted. And there are things that, listen, there are things that may or may not would send us to hell, but they certainly slow us down in the journey. There are weights and there is the sin that does so easily beset us. So the Bible says in Romans 13, 12, says we're to cast off the evil works of darkness. In 2 Timothy 2, 16, 
It says we're to shun profane and vain babbling, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, for their word doth eat like a canker. You've got to be careful who you listen to, what you listen to. You've got to cast all of that off so you can run the weight. They're watching, they're weight watching. They're watching to see if we will lay the weight aside. And then here's what it says. Let's run the race with patience. Again, Barclay, he just says it better than I do. Barclay says this patience is not the patience which sits down and accepts things, but the patience which takes charge of them. It's not some romantic notion which lends us wings to fly over the difficulties uh, and the hard places. It is a determination, unhurrying and yet undelaying, which goes steadily on and refuses to be deflected. Obstacles do not daunt it, and discouragement does not take its hope away. It is the steadfast endurance which carries us on until the end it gets there. Now, I, I, I try to be pretty self-aware, and I, I, I really try to accept responsibility where I'm wrong, but I also try to, you know, give myself a break where I'm right. And I can tell you this. Patience defined as long-suffering is something that I don't have a whole lot of. He's still working on me with long-suffering. However, by the grace of God, the Lord has helped me to have endurance. It was something about being raised with Barry as a big brother. And what I'm telling you is, is the kind of endurance, and that's what that word patience means there, is hutomone. It means the ability to stand up under, is what it means. You cannot look around at this leg of your race in life and say, I, I'm giving up. It's not working. I'm going to quit. I'm going to lay by the wayside. I'm going to check out of the race. This is just a momentary bend in the road. Cameron used to be a, uh, be a, a long-distance runner. He competed in that in, in high school. And sometimes they ran by the river. It's beautiful. Sometimes they ran in the weeds and in the mud. Don't determine your life based on where you currently are in the race. There's a wall that runners hit, I'm told. <laughs> that they hit and they've given all that they've got. They've got no more stamina. They don't have anything else to give. They just, they've hit emotionally, mentally, and physically. They're drained. They're zapped. But those that learn to keep on running past that get a second win and keep going. And you may feel like that in your relationship with the Lord and in your life that you've hit the wall, you have nothing less to give, everything in you says quit. If you'll just keep on running, the Holy Ghost of God will give you a second win. Don't give up. Be patient and endure. For he who endures to the end, the same shall be Saved. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen, did you know that word race is the, is the uh, Greek word agon? 
and it's where we get the word agony from. I know we don't like to talk about it. I know it doesn't make popular uh, fodder for, for the casual Christian to hear a message that says there's some agony in life. But there's some agony in life. And we have to fight the urge in life to make comfort our king. We have to fight the urge in life to say, if it's hard, I don't want anything to do with it. Everything that's worth having requires some endurance and requires some hardship. I guess why I like to watch athletics on TV is that I can do it easy and I can get the enjoyment out of it without ever having to lift any weights. I do pump iron. Did pretty good on this shirt, didn't I? But there has to be some agony. And I hate to tell you this, Christian brother and sister, but in the race of life, you're going to have some agonizing times. But keep on running. There's a finish line and a prize at the end of the race. It's only temporary. The agony is only temporary. And so how do we do that? Well, we look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Bill Cowher was the coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers back in the early 90s. And he, was, he had a, a good amount of success with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, and he was so focused. He didn't, he didn't do commercials. He didn't do ads. He didn't go out with the boys. He would go to practice. At the end of the day, he would go straight home. The next day, he was up and at them. He was so focused. The two things that were his priorities in life was family and football, and, and he didn't have much room for anything else. Well, one day he had to go to some event that was being held in Pittsburgh, and he was seated at the table with a nice lady across the table, and he thought he'd be polite, and he said, Well, how are you? What do you do for a living? She said, Well, I'm the mayor of Pittsburgh. <laughs> he didn't know it because it wasn't important to him. And I'm going to tell you there's a lot of things in life for goodness sakes, if you can't handle it, get off Facebook. Get off Twitter. Get off Instagram. Get off Snapchat. Get off of those things. If you can't handle it, don't watch Fox News anymore. Sure don't watch CNN either. If you're distracted because you listen all day long to talk radio, quit doing it. I'm convinced there are some people that can enjoy hobbies for what there are, there are other people who'd be better off giving up some of their hobbies because they consume them. If it's a distraction in the race, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you and get your priorities straight, which are looking unto Jesus. You've got to be focused on the finish line, which is Jesus himself. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who was our example, who for the joy that was set before him, Jesus stayed on the cross because he knew something better was coming. The joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. You don't have to like what you're going through. You don't have to enjoy what you're going through. When I went the other day to the dermatologist, 
and, and they were taking needles and putting them in to deaden this skin tag and that skin tag, and then some of them were small enough, they just clipped them off without deadening them. And every once in a while, that lady with a sweet face, she'd say, are you all right? I wanted to say, no, idiot, I ain't all right. What you talking about? You're sticking me with needles. But I didn't say that. I said, yes, ma'am, I'm all right. But understand, I can endure it, but that don't mean I have to enjoy it. It's okay that you don't enjoy every leg of the race. There is some endurance that goes on. But Jesus endured the cross, the cross despising the shame. But now he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God on high. And he said, if you'll suffer with me, you'll also reign with me. And because of that, it says, for consider him. Well, what a powerful scripture, and I'm about to close, but what a powerful phrase, a powerful word. Consider him. The next time that you want to quit, think about Jesus. The next time that you want to feel sorry for yourself, think about Jesus. The next time that things look bleak, think about Jesus. Consider him. Analyze him. Find out what made him tick. Can I tell you what made Jesus tick? The Father and others. I don't want to get too far afield here, but we, 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 we've got a rash of things going on in our society and we've still got people out there that after 50 years of the cult of self-assurance and improving self-esteem, we've tried that for 50 years and it has left people absolutely so hopeless that they're taking their own lives before they even get out of their teens. And we still got people that think that the anecdote, the antidote to the problem is what the problem is. They think, well, if we could just make them feel better about them. We're not doing a good enough job making them feel better about themselves. Life that is self-consumed always ends up hopeless because the answer is not in here. The answer is the Lord Jesus Christ and the person that lives their life focused on the Lord and on others are so busy and so consumed with the joy that brings that they fail to even consider or worry about themselves anymore. They said, look to Jesus, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Those two words were used by Aristotle. Wearied and faint. And they were used by Aristotle for what happens to a runner after he crosses the finish line. That absolutely exhausted with the journey, once he crosses the finish line, he falls down in a rubble, wearied. And the word faint, one of those words for that is relaxed. And Aristotle says that's what happens when the race is over. Here's the point. It's okay for you to do that after the race is over, but don't do it before the race is over. 
Don't stop a mile short of the finish line. Don't stop a foot short of the minute, uh, finish line. You'll be able to rest one day. Right now, keep running. Don't let up. Don't relax. Keep on going. It is not time. We are living in such a day and such an hour that Christians are faced with so much discouragement, temptation, all of that kind of stuff. And many people think, well, what we ought to do is just take it easy and wait until the rapture takes place. I'm telling you, it's not time for you to quit running. It's time for you to run on. Keep on going till you get to the arms of Jesus and you can collapse in his loving arms when you get there. There was a, uh, a professor named Dr. Dr. Jeff Ray. was a professor back in the 30s and 40s at Southwestern Seminary, Baptist Seminary in Fort Worth. And uh, he taught on up into his 80s. But he'd undergone some circumstances, some situations early in his adult life his first wife passed away and that left him to be the uh, father and mother to his children a single dad and he raised his children he got through that phase of life and then as his children got older one day in the 30s he got a call that his beloved son had died and that with all the other difficulties of life just about zapped and drained his victory he quit teaching he quit preaching stayed at home and licked his wounds but the wife of the seminary librarian sent her husband over one day and she sent her husband with a with a scrapbook that she had made full of inspirational quotes and scripture and poems. And she said, you take that over to Jeff. And as Jeff looked through it, he found one poem that spoke to his heart that encouraged him and caused him to keep running on. And these are the words. I won't let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. There are battles to fight by day and by night for God and the right. I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I'm sick, tis true, worried and blue, and worn through and through, but I won't let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. I will never yield. What? Lie down in a field and surrender my shield? No, I'll never let go. I want to let go, but I won't let go. May this be my song, mid legions of wrong. Oh, God, keep me strong that I may never let go. We all come to times in our lives that we want to let go. We want to quit, but we daren't. We dare not quit. We must keep going. Jesus came to that moment, he and his disciples, when he preached a hard sermon and 20,000 people walked out the door. And Jesus said, will you leave me also? 
And Peter, quite honest, said, Lord, where are we going to go? You're the one that has the words to eternal life. Christian brother, sister, weary in the journey, where are you going to go? There's nothing back out there for you. There's nothing in this world for you. The freedom, the joy, the peace, the rest that you seek, it's not found in this old world. So even though you want to stop, you don't stop. You lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset you and you run with endurance the race that is set before you. One translation of Scripture has it this way. Therefore, with all this host of witnesses encircling us, we must strip off every handicap, strip off sin with its clinging folds, to run our appointed course with steadiness, our eyes fixed upon Jesus as the pioneer and the perfection of faith, upon Jesus who, in order to reach his own appointed joy, steadily endured the cross, thinking nothing of its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, compare him who steadily endured all that hostility from sinful men so as to keep your own hearts from failing and fainting. You have not had to shed blood yet in the struggle against sin. Keep going. Don't give up. Never give up. Because there is a prize 